0: All right, before we open our Bibles this morning and get into our text in Acts chapter two, I wanna draw your attention to this bouquet of white roses to my left and your right. As always, uh, we recognize when people make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And last Wednesday night at Middle School Youth Group, the gospel was presented and three students responded by saying, yes, I wanna follow Jesus. Let's celebrate that good news today. The timeliness is perfect because by way of introduction to the message today really is about the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel and the need to respond to the message of the gospel. So I do want to prepare your hearts this morning as you consider whether or not you've responded to the message of the gospel. Today may be the day of your salvation where the Lord is drawing you unto him and is asking you to respond to him by saying, yes, I will follow Jesus. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, we'll read through verse 21. My goal is to get us through 41 by the end of uh, the day, our time together, I mean. <laughs> we'll see how we do. Beginning in verse 14, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistakes about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, right. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, they will all prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, as we open the Scriptures today, we invite your Holy Spirit to open our minds Help us to rightly divide the scripture so that we can clearly understand what it says and what it means and how we are to respond to what we learn today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it was about a year ago, actually, at this time when um, something started happening to my eyes. During my study time and sermon prep, I was really struggling to see things clearly. Sunday mornings would come and go. And as I was in the pulpit, oftentimes I couldn't see my notes, which was a huge distraction because I didn't always know where I was. And hopefully that wasn't your experience, just mine. So I started doctoring, trying to figure out what in the world is going on with my eyes because it was a sudden change to my vision. It didn't make sense to me. I denied it for a little while, but couldn't get past it. Ultimately, the doctor told me, you're just getting old. <laughs> you see, my eyes were changing, and that's nothing uncommon in you when you're in your 40s. For those of you who've experienced the eye shift in your 40s, you will realize that this change comes, and it comes quickly. The answer to my problem was you need cheaters. But I wear glasses. (laughs) Then you need bubbles at the bottom of your lenses. You just need bigger glasses. (laughs) All righty then. Let's just cover my whole face with mirrors and hair. (laughs) So that's what we did. But for those of you with good eyesight, I want you to know that you are blessed and highly favored. And don't forget that, because what you don't know is that seeing is a good thing. The importance of seeing things clearly throughout life, honestly, it cannot be overstated, can it? Think about your life, and when you see things most clearly, I would venture to bet that it's when you look back, because hindsight is usually 20-20, isn't it? It's when we look back and reflect on where we were, where we are, and where we're going that oftentimes it's then that things become clear to us. They make sense to us. When we can't make sense of where we're going or what we're doing, sometimes a pause and a look back is all we need to bring our life into alignment and clarity for where we are and what's going on. Today, we're going to clearly see the importance of helping people to know the truth about Jesus and the need to be clear about the message of the gospel when we share it with others. I want you to be thinking right now about how you share the message of the gospel with others. And take that one step further. What is the message that you are sharing with others? We get to take a peek at Peter's first sermon. I believe it's his best sermon ever. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to draw your attention to our three points before we get into it. The first one is simply this. The message of the gospel is all about Jesus, and he's going to show us that today. The second point is that the message of the gospel is authenticated by the prophets and the apostles of God. And the third point is that the message of the gospel demands a response. We're in Acts chapter 2. The setting is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was sent to indwell every believer gathered together in Jerusalem, just as Jesus promised would happen. Remember, it was his, his resurrection, 40 days with the disciples. Before he ascended into heaven, he told the the followers of him to, to go to Jerusalem and wait. And I promise you, I will send you the Holy Spirit. Ten days later at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells all 120 believers, followers of Jesus in the room that were together, just as Jesus promised. And what was the result of that? In Acts 2, 4, it says, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, if you recall from our time last week together, these believers were speaking about the wonderful things that God had done in the Gentile languages of the known world. And for the first time, the Jews that gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost We're hearing the good things about God, not in Hebrew or Aramaic, but in the Gentile languages, their native language of where they have come from and have now gathered in Jerusalem. And as the Jews were gathered in Jerusalem at Pentecost, hearing the good things about what God has done in their native languages, they have mixed responses, don't they? I want you to get the picture in your mind because in a room are 120 people and outside the room are just a ton of people. How many? I have no idea. We can't tell you a number. But what we know is that there was more than 3,000. Thousands of people were gathered. Some were amazed and perplexed at asking the question, What is going on and what does this mean? While others were gathered accusing these believers who were now indwelt by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit of being drunk. That that was what their accusation was. These guys are just drunk. This is crazy. And beginning in verse 14, Peter, along with the other 11 apostles, steps up steps forward and addresses the crowd. Verse 14, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. He didn't just address them. He shouted to the crowd. Why did he shout to the crowd? He didn't have a microphone. There's thousands of people there. And he begins to preach his very first sermon. Remember what Peter was not doing when he was in the room with these others. He wasn't. In the corner, putting an outline together for a sermon. The Holy Spirit indwelt him and filled him. And Peter, not alone, but with the other 11 apostles, stepped forward and he becomes the spokesperson for God as he declares the good news about Jesus. This impromptu sermon was his best sermon that he ever preached. And the results of it was remarkable. We'll get there, hopefully, and when we do, I'll share you what those results were. But by the end of our time today, if we were to read through Peter's sermon, it would take us about three minutes, maybe four. You might make the connection, wow, Peter preached that whole sermon in three to four minutes and Pastor Trinity takes like 30 to 40 minutes. What's going on? I can't explain it either. (laughs) But there's something that Luke says about Peter at the end of this passage that I'm going to share with you that gives me hope. So hang on to that thought. But here, this is what he says Listen carefully, all of you, verse 14. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now, some of you laughed earlier when I read that because you realized that you know people that that's not true of. I just hope that's not you. But why is nine o'clock in the morning... A time that is referred to here. Well, because morning prayers for the Jewish people was at 9 a.m. And it was forbidden that you would drink alcohol before the morning prayers. So the idea that anyone was drunk before 9 a.m. was just ridiculous. And that's what Peter was pointing out. Come on. Nobody's drunk here. We haven't even had our morning prayers yet. What is happening, though, Peter says, is what the prophet Joel actually said would happen. Now, as he captures their attention, what the Jews listening to Peter's sermon understood about the prophet Joel and what Peter specifically refers to is that that was a proclamation of the coming Messiah and the establishment of the kingdom upon which their Messiah would rule and reign on earth with his people. This is what the Jews had long awaited for. See, Peter begins by quoting Joel, saying this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. For the Jews, they would have been on the edge of their seat, like, what do you mean? You're saying this is that? Like, this is what's going on? After all, what is taking place within Joel's prophecy is in part being fulfilled at Pentecost and in part is yet to be fulfilled in the future. But what's happening here is exactly what's happening at the beginning where all the believers of Jesus were filled with the Spirit and they began to prophesy, they began to speak of the things of God. Not just men, but men and women. Yet it was Peter with the 11 apostles. He was not alone. He was with the other apostles, the witnesses of the resurrected Jesus, as he stood forward and they stood up for the truth of who Jesus is and what was done to Jesus. As they begin to proclaim the reality of Jesus as Messiah. See, I believe that the scriptures do teach that there will be a future event that will one day fulfill Israel's desire of Jesus ruling and reigning on earth as King of kings and Lord of lords, upon which he will establish his kingdom on earth and rule over the nations of the world. But that is yet to come. That is not now. Peter makes it clear that what is happening at Pentecost is the beginning of a new era, is the beginning of what is to come that would ultimately lead people to receiving the Spirit through proclaiming the Word of God and the message of the gospel. You see, within this passage, Joel references in the last days and the day of the Lord, and in between the last days and the day of the Lord is what they anticipated being the Messianic age. And, And here, Peter's introducing the idea that the Messianic age has begun, and it began with Jesus. And before the kingdom is established on earth, literally, the day of the Lord has to come, and that means Jesus has to return. But between... Today, the day of Pentecost, we begin the last days until the Lord returns. And in this time, we have an era defined by grace upon which men and women of God will be witnesses in the world and we will take the gospel, not just to the Jew first, but then also to the Gentile, to the whole entire world and people will get saved. In this time now, consists of a new people group that God is going to use, not the nation of Israel anymore. He hit the pause button with them. He has a new people upon which the gospel will go into the world made up of both Jew and Gentile. We know this to be the church, the people of God, who are born of God, invited into the family of God, and invited to go into the world and share the good news about Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, Peter concludes Joel's prophecy by saying this, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what Peter's going to make clear is that from this day until the day of the Lord, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Present and future event to come. This becomes his introduction to his very first point, which is our first point, that the message of the gospel is all about Jesus. It begins and it ends with Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus his miracles, his signs, his wonders, as evidence he is who God said he would be in sending to us the Messiah. Listen to verses 22 through 24 as Peter begins to unpack his sermon. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene. You were looking for the Messiah? Jesus is the Messiah, is what they are hearing. He endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Whoa. Who is this Jesus? He is the Messiah, and you missed him. You've been looking for him this whole time, and he was here, but he's no longer here. He's dead, and then he rose to life, and he was with us again, but he's no longer here. He's now at the right hand of the Father. He is Lord. He is Messiah. You missed him. This is a perplexing thought. The powerful miracles that Jesus did demonstrated who he was. There was wonders, and there was signs when commentary describes the wonders as acts or events that have deeper supernatural implications. For example, a healing was more than a reversal of injury or disease. Healing told witnesses something about the healer. Told witnesses about the person being healed and about God's mind on the matter. And then there are those signs that denotes something that gives a a true indication of something else, a physical indication of divine will or supernatural activity. For the Jews, a sign was a visible confirmation that a prophet was authentically from God. Jesus was from God, and God authenticated that, and they missed it. And now Peter is preaching to them about the fact that they are the ones who killed their Messiah. Peter's one of those sermons who gives straight talk. Some of you like straight talk. I happen to like straight talk. Some of you don't like straight talk. I happen to get in trouble sometimes because you don't like straight talk. My posture is one, though, of grace and compassion for you. And I believe that was true of Peter as well. We must see clearly or we'll miss Jesus. This is what happened to those Jews. They missed the Messiah. Gwen and I were, had the privilege early on in our marriage to go to Hawaii. And we got on the plane in Minneapolis. We were flying standby, which is a whole other story. We had to land in LA and then go on to Hawaii. We got on the plane. We were in the air. Take your seatbelts off, relax. I did. I put my tray down. I pulled my glasses off to rub my eyes, and my glasses broke in half. I looked at her and I'm like, oh no. We're going to Hawaii and I can't see a thing. This is terrible. I'm going to be like there two weeks. I'm not going to see anything. I don't want to go. Turn this plane around. Take me home. We land in LA and we get stuck there for three days. There was one place that took my insurance, just down the road from where we were stuck. I go in and it's like the end of the day, and the guy was like, No, I'm closed. I'm like, come on, here's my deal. And he's like, Okay, he makes me some glasses and sends me out the door. He locked the door as I was leaving. I'm a half a block down the road. And I said to Gwen, I gotta go back. Why? I can't see. What do you mean? The world is crazy. I can't see through these glasses. Like it's this and that and everything else. And so I go back and I'm pounding on the door. I'm like, come on, man, just open the door. He's like, what's up? And I'm like, I can't see. So he takes my glasses and he looks and goes, oh yeah, well, I reversed your prescription. (laughs) Ah, I almost went to Hawaii not seeing. Would have been terrible. So he fixed them 20 minutes later. I'm on the road. I get to go to Hawaii and I saw everything. It was great. But I can't overstress the importance of seeing things clearly. You realize in Peter's straight talk, what he helped the people recognize was who Jesus really was and what they actually did to him. They killed him. He turns a finger. And he says, you killed him. In God's sovereign prearranged plan, God already determined for his son to die. But Peter also said, that's true. But you know what else is true? You still bear the responsibility of killing the Messiah. And if I was to give you straight talk today, even though we're 2,000 years removed from that, I would tell you, you Bear the responsibility of killing Jesus. And so do I. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was perfect and sinless. And he died bearing your sin and mine. So that after God raised him from the dead and he defeated sin, death, and the grave, you and I could find life in him. Your sin, you, you killed Jesus just like I did. It was sad. They're crushed. Our Messiah is no longer with us. Oh, but Peter says, time out. God raised him from the dead. He's no longer dead. He's alive. And this is good news. He goes on and he, he, he points out In these next verses, he says, I see that the Lord is always, beginning in verse 25, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Peter is quoting Psalm 16, a psalm of David that oftentimes was associated with David, but it's not of David. It's actually of the Messiah who was foretold that would die and then rise from the dead. And Peter's saying, this is him. This is it. This is Jesus. It's not David. He goes on in verse 29 He says, "'Dear brothers, think about this. "'You can be sure that the patriarch David "'wasn't referring to himself, "'for he died and was buried, "'and his tomb is still here among us. "'But he was a prophet, and he knew God, "'had promised with an oath, "'one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. "'David was looking into the future "'and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection.'" He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see here today for David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Are you seeing clearly who Jesus really is? This brings us to our second point. The message of the gospel is authenticated by the prophet's and the apostles of God. Peter said, let me tell you about the Old Testament prophets and who they said Jesus is. Peter, not alone, but with the other 11 apostles, stand up and begin to speak about who Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus. And in verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Did you know that the two-factor authentication didn't begin in the digital age? It began with God. For those of you who wonder what that is, you know when you go online and check into your bank account and you have to have two different factors to get you in there to authenticate your identity? This is what's going on. The two-factor identification of Jesus being known to us about who he really is is found in the Old Testament prophets and their teaching as it aligns with the New Testament apostles and the message of the gospel. See, Peter just didn't share his opinion with the crowd about who Jesus is. He brought them to the Scriptures and he began to teach them what it meant by what was written. But How did he know? If you took time and you went through the gospels, you would realize that Jesus spent all kinds of time with his disciples over three years trying to help them see how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and they always got it wrong. They just couldn't get it. Why is Peter so clear now about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament? I'm going to give you two reasons. The first is, after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days with the apostles teaching them about the kingdom and teaching them how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And I think it was during that time that all the dots that were just a mess got connected. But I also think the second reason is Peter now has the Holy Spirit in him, And he has the power and the ability to give the message clearly. And I want you to know that you, as God's people, have both of those as well. You have the word of God, and you have the Holy Spirit in you to teach you, to guide you, to lead you into the truth. And as you become a witness into the world, your ability to make sense of the Old Testament scripture with the New Testament teaching of the apostles and connect the dots so that you can be an actual witness to what the gospel is to those in the world, doesn't require a bigger brain. It requires a dependence on the power of the Spirit and an awareness of the teaching of Scripture. It's here that we find in the end of Luke, in chapter 24, Luke writes in verses 44 and 5, When I was with you before, Jesus is telling the apostles, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This happened in that 40-day window where Jesus was teaching the apostles. See, our greatest asset to teaching others about Jesus and the truth of the gospel besides the Holy Spirit that is in us, is the written word of God. As a church, we're reading together the one-year Bible plan so that we can saturate ourselves with the word of God so that we can become more effective in understanding God's redemptive plan, how it fits our life and the life of those around us so that we can be more effective in being a witness in the world. This is strategic on our part as leaders and pastors for you. And this brings us to our third point. The message of the gospel demands a response. Beginning in verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? remember, what are they realizing? They missed him. The Messiah they wanted has been with them and they killed him and God raised him from the dead and they missed him again. And now he's gone, but he's alive. What should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins. And turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. We don't know how many people were hearing this message, but at least 3,000 to give you encouragement for my long sermons. Okay, maybe this is for me. Verse 40, Peter continued preaching for a long time. This isn't a four-minute sermon. That's why mine aren't four-minute sermons. But notice in verse 37, they ask the question, what do we do? See, every good sermon has three parts. The first part is, what does the Scripture say? The second part is answering the question, what does the Scripture mean? And the third part is answering the question, how does this apply to my life? Essentially, what do I do about it? You notice Peter began by telling them what the Scripture said. He then helped them understand what the scriptures meant. And before he ever got to go into application mode, they're crying out, hey, time out! Preachers, stop! What do we do about it? And this is what he says. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this promises to you and to every generation to come. See, the Jews thought that they were special. But what Peter is now saying is, all of you matter to God. Jew and Gentile alike. As Joel said, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The fourfold challenge of sharing the gospel is that we must come to a place where we talk about sin and our need to repent of it or turn from it, have a posture shift from running away from God, then to God. Peter says, turn from your sin and turn to God because God's the only one who can deal with your sin problem. He says, then be baptized. Why does he go there right away? Baptism doesn't bring our salvation. He makes that clear as he preaches throughout the rest of Acts, and we'll, we'll address this. But baptism is an expression outwardly, of an already inward reality. It's also a way we identify with a community of people. To be baptized in the name of Jesus is to identify with him. He says, for the forgiveness of your sin, but a better translation and a real translation is because of the forgiveness of your sin. And when your sin is forgiven, the gift that God gives to you is His Holy Spirit to indwell within you as a seal, a guarantee of your inheritance. And then the power as He fills you to be a witness in the world to who Jesus is and what He has done for you. Let's make sure that we're clear with others about what the gospel is rather than try to sell them on the benefits of the gospel. You see, one of the temptations I have, and I'm sure you do as well, in sharing the gospel is, I would rather tell you about the benefits. Like, hey, do you want a blessed life? Do you want peace? Do you want to go to heaven? Come on, who's not going to say yes to that, right? But did you know those are the benefits of the gospel? That's not the gospel. The gospel's the straight talk. <laughs> You're a sinner. And your sin is what killed Jesus. But God raised Jesus from the dead so that your sin could be forgiven. And if you turn from your sin and you turn to God, trusting in him, he will not only forgive your sin, but give you life. See, we don't share the gospel if we never talk about sin and the need for forgiveness and that Jesus is the only one who can do that. That's what makes sharing the gospel so uncomfortable. But let me give you some hope. Our job is not to convince anybody to follow Jesus. Our job is to be faithful in sharing the gospel with people and allow the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin and to woo them to Him. And then it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring life to those who call on the name of the Lord to be saved. We don't save people. The Holy Spirit does that. Our job, get the gospel right and share it clearly with others so people can see who Jesus really is. I don't know if you are a follower of Jesus Christ or not, but I'm going to make the simplest appeal that I can. The Bible tells us that those who call upon the name of the Lord for salvation will be saved. That's it. I promise you, you're a sinner just like me, and you need a Savior just like me. And if you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus, His promise is that He will save you too. If you've never made that decision, you don't have to come up here and pray a prayer to make that. You can make that appeal right where you're at, and salvation can be yours. But if you're wondering and wanting to know more, by all means, call the church office, find a pastor, come and talk to me after this message. I'm happy to share with you more about the good news of Jesus Christ and how you can be part of the family of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for your faithfulness, For your Son, Jesus Christ, who is Messiah, Savior, Lord, the one who grants eternal life and sustains us through the Spirit that's been given to us. Jesus, I pray that as we recognize today the importance of seeing Jesus clearly and getting the gospel right, that God, we will rely on the power of the Spirit in us to give us bold confidence in teaching and preaching and proclaiming and being a witness in our innermost circles at home and work and in our friends. Who Jesus is and the need for each one of us to find salvation in him. Thanks for your Spirit that lives in us, that gives us a bold confidence to proclaim the truth, to see things clearly to be a witness in this world. We praise you for it, Jesus' name, amen.